You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Deset, dvacet, třicet, čtyřicet, čtyřicet osm, padesát, padesát, tenkrát. To ještě existoval, tam ten svět ještě existoval. Tady někde se to stalo. Přežila to spousta lidí, zbylo nás dost lidí, zvířat i stromů. To až potom začalo všechno ubývat. Lidí, zvířat i stromů. Ale ještě hráli biografii, ještě jezdil vlak. Byla jsem mladá a lidí ubývalo. Odcházeli z měst. Tady, tady někde jste se narodili. V těch letech umírali i poslední lidé. Byli jsme v horách. Někde tady jsme se vydali na cestu. Bylo vám kolem deseti, dvanácti let. Pak roztrhali při posledního chlapce. Tady někde se utopila Helena. A, a tady umřela Marie. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is Miss Kat Ellinger. Hello. And joining us is Ms. Rain Alexander. Hello. We are kicking off September 2019 with a look at Jan Schmidt's end of August at the Ozone Hotel. Released in 1967, the film is another in a collaboration between Schmidt and screenwriter Pavel Juracek, who we discussed on our Case for a Rookie Hangman episode. Juracek wrote the screenplay, which has a group of women trying to survive in the post-nuclear apocalypse. The film moves at a slow but determined pace and should not be viewed if you're sensitive to animal cruelty. We'll be spoiling the film in so much as it can be spoiled, so be warned. Now, Kat, when was the first time you saw End of August at the Hotel Ozone, and what did you think? Well, this was an interesting one, because a few years ago, I was writing this chapter for a book on folk horror, and my chapter was Czech folk horror. And so I randomly came across this thinking it might have aspects of folk horror because of the landscape themes. And obviously it hasn't, but I found something I wasn't really expecting. And like I say, every time I come on here, it blew me away. You always just get me on films that I love. Get me on something <laughs> that I don't like. And then I, I, I hated that film. I never say that. <laughs> Well, we could talk about end of August at the Hotel Ozone 2, Timmy to the Rescue. Oh, God, no. <laughs> With songs. <laughs> the musical version. And, Rain, was this a first-time watch for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the, you know, I used to manage a video store, a really great video store, and it's something that was uh, often staring at me from the shelf, and I never really took the plunge. And I'm, I'm regretful that I didn't, but I've been really glad to engage at this time. Yeah, this was a first-time watch for me as well. I've had the DVD of this for I don't know how long. Uh, Facets put this and I want to say like, what, three or four other movies out quite a few years ago. And it was just a treasure trove of interesting Czech films like Lemonade Joe was one of those. Uh, I think The Joke was there as well, which we'll be talking about in a couple weeks. So just a bunch of great things. And yeah, I, I was kind of using this episode as an excuse to find sit down and watch this, and I definitely do not regret it. The opening of this movie is so striking, and it feels it feels a lot like that commercial that they use. I think it was, was it for Nixon's re-election, or was it for Kennedy's election, where it was the little girl playing, and it freezes on, he on her, and then you hear the countdown, and then the world explodes? Yeah. It's very similar where we hear all of these different countdowns over all of these different empty landscapes or empty buildings, and they're all in these different languages, and that's how we begin this movie. It is super chilling. It's great. It is, especially going in when you don't know what you're going to expect, and then it goes into the little... I love how they tell the story of what's happened with the rings on the tree. I love that part. 
Of course, I'm thinking of Vertigo as she's doing that. Somewhere in here I was born. And there I died. But it was only a moment for you. You, you took no notice. It's poignant, Mike. It's poignant. Very. I thought that opening was really uh, just such a amazingly gorgeous way to, to begin this. And so simple, right? After watching it a couple of times, it really sat with me like, these are people who now were like functioning without history. And this is the only way that they're able to like, try to understand it now, right? Through the rings of these trees. And it's also kind of indicative of what we're going to be seeing later on in the film as far as like, this world is not a museum for them to preserve. This is a world for them to live in. And this is a world for them to do a lot of destruction. And by them, I'm talking about the eight main characters that we have, which is the old woman and the seven younger women. And them cutting down a tree is just the first of many things that we'll see as far as them just traipsing through this world and kind of wantonly destroying things. Well, they're survivors, aren't they? Like Rain said, they're living with no sense of history apart from, is it Dagmar, the older woman? And they don't value anything. They just want to survive. But um can we just discuss the fact they're women straight away? Because I think we see so many of these dystopian narratives with groups of men. And often when men destroy things, they look heroic. And I think it had to be women because it's so shocking to see women do that. Um, if it had been men, it would have had a completely different slant that they would have been survivors and. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, but when you see women doing that because they're supposed to be quote unquote nurturing, it suddenly becomes so striking that they are women. Now that they're not having children and now they're just out there surviving, because women can be just as violent as men, which is socialized not to be violent. And it's so unacceptable. Goes back to what we were saying on the Daughters of Darkness one. It's always more shocking to see women be violent in film and they always have to try and justify it with some sort of hysteria or mental illness or some dudes getting but these women are just flat out cruel barbaric i think it's wonderful i think it's it's exceptional they're almost their own worst enemies at times there are times where they sabotage themselves i'm thinking particularly of when they're gathering fuel and they take the big box of bullets and just throw it into the fire that they've created it's just like (laughs) i was just waiting for one of them to get shot because they don't seem to realize what's going to happen there they remind me of little children though because like the cruel things that they do to the animal is so childish. Like all children are cruel to animals when they're very young. And they have this real childishness about them. Like they're, they're feral, but they've got that innate cruelty that hasn't been socialized out of them, I guess. But they're, the stuff that they do, you just, I think that's what becomes so bleak. It's like, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you throwing a stone at that dog and trying to shoot it and stuff? You know, why Why are you so vile? Yeah, and there's not really a sense of consequence for any of these actions necessarily, right? Yeah, I mean, they're free to do what they want. I know the older lady kind of disapproves in a way. She doesn't seem to have much control over them, though. Yeah, just like that slap she gives the one young woman after throwing the bullets in. Like, <laughs> what were you doing? I'm going to slap you. And like, and that's that's the reprisal and that's all there is. And, you know, that lot of good that did. <laughs> right. They don't even lose their horse over that. They manage to maintain the horse, even though the one girl gets dragged for a good long while, but she doesn't seem overly hurt afterwards. 
And yeah, it is, it is tough to call these women women. There are so many times, even in my notes, where I'm saying girls because they do seem much younger than they are because they are that feral state. These remind me of like the young boys in Lord of the Flies or something where it's just like we have no civilization. We have no understanding of how it goes. And it's true. I mean, other than the old woman who just seems to be kind of trying to hold them together, but she doesn't seem to have that much control over these young women at all. No, and they don't, there's no value system there apart from the only values they have are very selfish about who gets what and, you know, a lot of infighting over silly little things. So they're very, very selfish people as well because they've, they've just been forced to, to survive, I guess. They've been made that way. And I can't even distinguish one girl from another a lot of times because they just seem to be a group. They are like a mass and they're, they're, uh, you know, seven heads, seven, uh, seven pairs of arms, seven pairs of legs. So there's very few distinctions other than, oh, there's the one who can read and there's the one who's got the gun and the one who's got the knife. But None of these characters even have names, as far as I know. And you're right, as far as the old woman goes, I think she might be the only one with a name. Otherwise, they just are pretty interchangeable. Well, it gets at one of the things that uh, kind of started to nag at me, which is who who's cutting their hair? Oh, I thought that, that same thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how are they maintaining these hairdos? And like, where, where is this coming from? And I know this is like thoroughly outside of the realm of it, but still, I'm just like, uh, that's the that's the most unrealistic part of this movie, I think, really. <laughs> no, it was bugging me too, because some of them have got quite short hair. And I don't know if that's intentional to make them look more boyish, maybe, but... All I could think of is, like, who? Why? Like, how would you? <laughs> one of them can read. One of them is a stylist. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> as far as I know, a lot of these young women were actually in the army, and they made this uh, film as a co-production with the army, the Czech army, which just seems absolutely bizarre. But it's one of those things we've talked about on so many of these Czech films where we are using amateurs and mixing amateurs in with professional actors and actresses totally makes sense you know especially in these roles it's like you don't really need to have a lot of range to be one of these feral girls that's interesting though because it's kind of like an anti-war film it sure is so interesting I was talking about how they're their own worst enemies, and the other scene that always comes to mind is the the scene with the chalk marks, and how the old woman sees these chalk marks around, and she thinks, oh, there's signs of civilization. These are fresh marks, and starts looking for who might be making these, only to go into a church that's crumbling around her ears and find that it's Ava. The only There we go. There's a character with a name. Ava... Uh, who has been making these marks around this area and as she found a piece of chalk and it's like, oh, you know, so it's like this big disappointment when she finds that it's just one of her own who is just basically fucking around and doing this. Well, that's what they like to do. They're so mean, those girls. And they, they fuck around a lot, but it sounds awful, but it's still fascinating to watch. Like I didn't hate them. I didn't find myself hating them. It's, uh, it sounds like we don't like them. They're unlikable, but you don't dislike them, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that was just me. I mean, it makes me wonder what would happen if we were all so bored that, we, you know, we needed to do something to enliven things, right? Like, is that twisting a head off of a snake? I don't know. I would hope I wouldn't get ever to get to that point in my life, but... It is. It is. They are like a group of kids kind of wandering around one summer, you know, nothing to do. Oh, we find some bullets. Let's just throw them in the fire. It's the sort of thing kids or kids used to do. Now they're packed in foam and set up with an Xbox. But when we were kids, <laughs> we did some stupid shit, but not as stupid as the girls in this. It's almost like, you know, if Herzog made a what I did on my summer vacation movie. <laughs> and the snakes were screaming. Well, they were screaming in this. <laughs> That's the one thing is uh, I was thinking about this and the fact that we haven't had a restoration 
and we only had the Facets DVD, which is in the US. And I thought this would be a great one for second run. But the issue here, because we have the uh, cinema, cinema to, I can, can never say it, cinematograph, pro, that's probably not how you say it, films act it, from 1937 where animal cruelty and animal violence is not allowed in film. And we always get, you know, when them cannibal films are re-released, these people going, oh, the BBC are going to cut the animal violence. and You know, but it's like, it's this law that's necessary. Um, and I know it affects older films when they re-release them, but it's necessary. You can't remove that law and have animal cruelty in film. So it's like a double-edged sword. So I don't know whether this one would actually get through the BBFC because they will allow animal deaths as long as it's quick. But some of the animal deaths in this are not not quick at all. So I couldn't see the cow, the snake. I couldn't see them going through, to be honest. With the snake, when they cut back to her holding it right before she rips it apart, is it dead at that point, do you think? I don't know. It's quite, because I don't, I'm very sensitive to animal violence, although I love this film. And I see why they probably thought it needed to to be there, because they need to, you know, they're working with amateurs on, you know, just in these locations, wandering around in fields. They have to give it something and... It's that go-to thing, isn't it? How do you show somebody's really barrel and wild? You just stick some animal cruelty in. So I can see why it's there, but I find it so difficult. Like, it does make me wince. The snake, when they're kicking that fucking cow, man, and I was just, <laughs> just thinking, is that a real cow? Oh, my God, that looks like a real cow. It's kind of like that. That totally was a real cow. And that dog, I know with a lot of like dog or cat cruelty, they will just add sound effects. Like adding a whimper of a dog makes things horrific, you know, for anybody who loves dogs. And when they shoot the dog, I was like, okay, were they telling the dog to lay down and they're just adding in the sound effects? No. That's 100% real, yeah. and that really yeah. hurt to watch. Yeah. And they're not doing it for food. They're not doing it for anything other than just to kill something. Yeah, I mean, with the cow, you think they're going to go in to eat the cow. But it's almost like they don't even know what a cow is, so they just start having some sort of sparagmos with the cow, kicking it and ripping it to pieces. It doesn't seem to be... Like they don't even seem to register that it's could be edible. Yeah, there's no utility to the whole thing. We're not really setting this, are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why why did you guys watch this movie again? Yeah. <laughs> Who are you people? <laughs> you like to watch young women rip apart a cow and kind of it's almost like a blood orgy that's going on. Yeah, this is all happening in the wake of this complete nuclear holocaust where everybody is everybody is dead, everybody is gone. And so it's the underlying message, I think, is like, th this is how we're responding after a complete devaluation of human life <laughs> worldwide, right? So why, why would they even begin to uh, value the life of a snake or a dog or a cow or some random man they run across? Yeah, and it's like things get bigger and bigger. The stakes are higher as we go through this movie. If we start with the tree and then go to the snake, then the dog, then the cow, it's just like we're working our way almost up the literal food chain with this. Certainly. And like this also gets a, this other interesting idea to me, which is that, you know, so they're being led uh, by the older woman to, uh, you know, presumably find a man, find men so they could have children, right? And so what's that going to be like <laughs> if and when that does happen? Well, they don't even seem to value that. They're, they're, even though they have that in their minds, they don't seem to realize what it means or what it represents. And you get the idea that if they did find a man, they'd probably just kill it. I mean, they do, Yeah, you know. So they just have this in their minds, but they just don't even seem to realize what it means or care. And I think because of that, 
with the, you know, the juxtaposition of the younger characters and then the older characters. And, and the older characters who have this romantic notion of rebuilding society, it makes it so, I don't know, it really gets under your skin. Because there's so much sadness in that. It's really sad when you think about it. What makes the cow death even worse for me is to see the old man's reaction when he sees them and sees what they've done to his cow. And then when we go back to his place and he's got all that fresh milk and I'm just like, he's been using this cow for milk. That cow's probably his only friend. But to your point, he is really clinging to that old world to the point of him having that gramophone, that 78 gramophone and playing the beer barrel polka. It's just like him and his house and all of that. It's like a museum now. And he and the old woman are the ones that are clinging to this. And it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that this is coming out in 67 when 68 is going to be such a crucial year in history. And this whole idea of the older versus the younger is just running through this movie like crazy. And I don't know if it's a critique of the younger people since they are these wild heathens versus the olders who are trying to grasp onto society and, and civilization, or if it's maybe a critique of the old ones, just like, hey, you really need to get over this and embrace the new world. The thing that really, one of the scenes that does really affect me beyond the horrible animal violence is when they first meet the old man after the cow. So that's awful. But then he takes them to the hotel and sets up that little parasol and and it's like, you know, he's bringing the milk out and it's so absurd because, again, they just don't register the significance of it apart from the old lady who's really relieved that she's found someone from the old world. And they don't even know how to use the glasses, like that girl drinks the milk and then just drops the glass and it smashes. And he's trying so hard, but they just can't relate at all. He serves them up that big banquet, and the girls are just there eating with their hands. It's just, it's like Rocky from Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, I keep waiting for him to be like, no, use your fork. And the fact he keeps calling them young ladies, like from some etiquette school as well. Here's the milk for the young lady. And it's like, they're not young ladies, man. They're, they're like barbarians. <laughs> So yesterday I was looking for reasons why the old lady might have passed away in this area, why she gets sick and then dies. And I was thinking at first, I was like, well, did she drink the milk? Was the milk poisoned? Was it radiation? And I think it's just because I've been watching Chernobyl lately. So. <laughs> but no, I don't think, I don't think that has anything to do with it. And it's almost like, it's almost like she's okay to die here because yeah. it's like, okay, civilization will go on. Here's the old man. I've brought the women to the man. Things will work out as they do, but it doesn't necessarily go to her plans, I don't think. No, that's how I kind of read it. Like, she can rest now because – and she says about needing a rest. Like, she's she's got them to a person and now she can – now she can rest. That's kind of how I read it. Yeah. And I wonder in, if I were to remake this film, I think that I might explore a little bit of her, her thinking around that, like having found this oasis, this hotel, which is leaving the cow aside, like a functioning civilized place, right? Which she presumably hasn't seen in so very long. But also, why haven't they found a place in an urban area? That's another question that I'm very curious about. I understand from like the filmmaking perspective, like they were filming in, you know, war zones, basically. So that makes sense. But if her goal was to bring them to civilization, why didn't she take them to civilization or where it used to be? Yeah, that's one of the critiques of the film that I read was why aren't they following roads and paths because they're there, you don't see very many things like that at all. And, you know, why isn't this on the road to Prague or something? And I was like, well, yeah. Prague's probably blown away, but there are probably other, like, smaller villages that are still around. 
The, the other thing, and I, I swear I read this and I could not find where I read it. I swear somebody in their review of this movie thought that the, the old man's name was Ozone and that's why the hotel is oh, named Hotel what? Ozone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? I don't think so. I love that hotel though. See, I would have totally, well, we all would have totally stayed there, but it's their complete yeah. nonchalance about it. You know, the only thing that they like is his gramophone that they're going to take off him anyway. But just the fact like he's preserved the last newspaper and just all these little details about it. I mean, I, I know they were working on a very low budget and it does have that vibe the a, a few of the films that like Diamonds in the Night and even things like Marquetta that are very you know we don't have many for film sets and whatever we're just going to shoot out in the wilds <laughs> and make the best of it so it does kind of tie in with that which is why I ended up seeing it because I'd read bits little bits about it and assumed it would be something like Marquetta but obviously it's not. It's completely its own thing. I can't think of anything that really compares to it, you know, just in the wider sphere of sci-fi. You've got the last man thing in there that crops up time and time again. But the way it's used here is just so nihilistic. There's literally no hope. Like, usually in the last man things, they have to give you, like, a little bit of hope by the end. But this, no. I was reminded a little bit of A Boy and His Dog and just those wastelands that Don Johnson travels and then that weird city, I think they call it Kansas, where it's like the homeland, the heartland has been preserved underground. And again, it's like, hey, here's this healthy young man. Let's have him have sex with all of our women so we can continue the race, which is kind of similar to some of the idea here but definitely carried off in a very different way yeah because they don't want the men or need the men they they don't even know what the men are it's just like oh hell it's a man like what they like what what is their function i think that's what makes it so transgressive is there's no love angle there's no romance there's no hope there's no you know normally and the other thing that i love about it and and don't get me wrong, obviously I love Eurocult, so I love these sort of narratives, but it just, another thing that gives it another edge is they don't sexualize the women, so we don't see them in a kind of lesbian group, where, you know, if you think, if the film had been made in Italy or something, you know, they would have there would have been other scenes of them getting it on, and, you know, no, none of that. There's sexuality just doesn't exist in this. A lot of group bathing scenes going out to the, uh, right. where's the waterfall that they can all be <laughs> naked by the waterfall? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I love that sort of shit, but, um, I don't know. It's just really kind of stands out as being different because of that. It's like sex does not exist in this world. I guess because sex is life and all that exists is cruelty and death. Given that part of the mission for Dagmar is to take them to find, you know, reproduction, it kind of brings the question to mind, like, what do they think about their reproductive cycles? You know, like, what what's happening there? And that's not even addressed at all, right? No. It's like they don't even discuss it. Or, like I said, you know, they find the man, but they just don't seem to understand what the man represents maybe Dagmar thought the old man would be able to teach them but they don't even listen to him because he's like a nothing to them he's just someone in their way they don't care about him or anything that he's got to say I mean they barely listen to Dagmar but to him no it's almost like you know you're just a you're just a man we don't need to listen to you so it's, it's interesting because you know where would they go from that I can't see them you know, starting the human race again. And good Lord, would you want a human race started by those people? Can you imagine how they bring their kids? <laughs> What's going back to like caveman times? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that moment where he tells Dagmar, like, you could be the mother of this new civilization as if like, this is a great thing. And I think even she's like, dude, 
look around, read the room. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, he's so stuck in the past though. And so lonely as well. That was, that's another dimension that I love about it. He's so lonely and so desperate that he kind of overlooks the fact that they're not civilized people. He kind of just goes along with it and ignores their, well, weird to him, not weird to them, behavior. There's that one shot towards the end where after they kill him, one of the young women, before they leave the room, she's like caressing a chair, the back of a chair. And that, to me, is kind of like goodbye to everything. Goodbye to civilization. We're just going to do what we want to do. Because until they get to there, I don't think we've seen them sit in a chair at all. And they probably have no needs for chairs anymore. It's just like it's this big symbol to me of what civilization is because they are just absolutely fine sitting on the ground, sitting wherever, and they don't need this life that Dagmar showed them. I have a chair. I have a chair. King in the castle. King in the castle. So depressing. But it's not a depressing film, though, and I can't even explain why it's not depressing. I think because it's so powerful and it's so different to everything else that you would have seen. And I mean, even in things like Shuowski's On a Silver Globe, which is a bit of a last man narrative, you know, and, and it's quite nihilistic, you know, it's it even that is different to this. So I think, I guess the amazing thing about it is you probably won't ever see another film like it. You know, it's so bold and so... I don't know what they were trying to say with it really apart from war is there's so many ways you could read it i'm so interested that this script was around for so long before this got made which is a detail i hadn't i hadn't really grasped until you know the last day or so because i can't imagine what it would have been like to have seen this film made in the late 50s that was just kind of a throwaway by uh, Joseph Skvorecki from his book, All the Bright Young Men and Women. He's one of the few people to write about the movie, even though he doesn't write about it very much at all. Mostly he's talking about the relationship between Schmidt and Yurovchek. What this sent me towards was so many of these like quiet apocalypse movies that... You know, I've always loved a little bit more than like the bombastic ones. You know, I'm thinking like The Quiet Earth or uh, Glenn and Randa came to mind. Phase 4, I rewatched Phase 4, the Saul Bass Ant Apocalypse movie. Uh, but this also sent me towards like Meek's Cutoff. Similarly, like here's this like band of women that are kind of pioneering through this wilderness, you know, in search of, in that case, water. And then functioning in a completely different way, Right. I love that term, quiet apocalypse, though. That's brilliant. There's so much... I'm not into the big spectacle science fiction, but this science fiction is... I love, you know, the existential science fiction that doesn't hide itself in spectacle. You get these very human stories uh, come up, even though we're talking about people who are quite inhuman. It is still a very human story, isn't it? It's about loss and grief for lost civilization and loneliness and, you know, really, really sort of existential themes. I guess, if anything, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Glenn and Randa, too, because that just seems to have that, like, we are children after the apocalypse and we will do whatever we want. The other thing that I was thinking of, Kat, when you were talking about this is it makes sense that Yuravchek was also the writer of Daisies, because I think that the two girls and Daisies could be kind of, uh, there's some parallels between them and the young women in this movie. I was going to say Daisies. I didn't, I didn't want to give any spoilers though, but Daisies has, a, a, I guess, an equally it has an equally nihilistic ending in a way. Mm-hmm. And it is these, uh, these two women, again, non-actors who take on, you know, more of an absurd comedy in a way, but they become more and more destructive. And obviously that's, uh, you know, it's got more of a feminist kind of thing to it. But yeah, there are. Definitely some parallels, although I don't know how you'd feel watching these two films 
everyone's sitting because Daisy's is like high, high, high energy and like uh, end of August is like low. <laughs> While I was looking for poster images for this, I kept running across people doing double features of this and Mad Max Fury Road. And I was like, okay, I guess I can see that. Yeah. Which I've yeah. never seen. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite films of the last probably 10 years. And as far as the parallels between like the women, there's a group of women, but they're not even really introduced until the third act. It's like if you took Dagmar and had a group of women her age and who have seen what the world was and have passed down knowledge from one person to another, it's like a group of Dagmars rather than these wild young women. I've seen the gifts and the memes. That's just, <laughs> I do love the original Mad Max, so I need to get off my ass and watch it. You know how it goes, though. You have to do some sort of podcast or something <laughs> to invite me on a podcast. Then I'll have time to watch it. Well, I'm sorry, but I just did like a four. No, it was a. Was it a five hour? It might have even been a six hour podcast on all the Mad Max films. So sorry about that. Mad Max, though, is a typical example of those films I was talking about where the men in Mad Max, even Max himself, are very destructive, but they're seen as being heroic. You know, it's like, yeah, the dude's killing people, shooting things. Yeah, he's like a hero. But you have a woman do that, and it's like, oh, my God, why would she do that? It had to be women. Bold choice, though. I was wonder about Czech film because a lot of uh, Czechoslovak film from the new wave is uh, it's very progressive in terms of gender politics. Oh, it seems very progressive. But then listening to directors like uh, Vera Hitilova, who did a documentary which was on the second... Re- I can't remember the name of the documentary, but I think... It's on the second run release of Daisies. Very good. But she talked about working with, and she was the only sort of major female director in the new wave. And you think, oh, very progressive. You know, they have this woman in there and blah, blah, blah. But to hear her talk about it, it was very sexist. She feels very bitter about some of it. So it's interesting when you look at films like this and you wonder were they even thinking in those terms or was it something else because according to people like Hitilova it wasn't progressive as far as women went that doesn't surprise me to hear at all I mean I feel like I see similar kind of circumstances in many different art movements you know through history and like I mean it gets it kind of like some of these things we've already like mentioned about Um, Hotel Ozone, which is like, well, who is cutting these women's hair? What is happening with reproductive cycles? If there had been a woman involved with the writing of this, I think we would have seen some of that dealt with in some way, shape or form. Yeah, but it just doesn't exist. It's it's very strange. I mean, obviously, we can just speculate, but there's certain things in it that are just like, yeah, what what were they trying to say? Or maybe they were just trying to say women are horrible. I don't know. I was really bummed out. There's that documentary series. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Something like The Golden Age or something. And it's 26 episodes and it's all about... Oh, do you know, I've been trying to order that off their website and I just don't even understand it. So... Well, I can help you out with that. Yes. <laughs> Not necessarily ordering, but I can help you with those episodes. But the the real caveat is only some of them have subtitles. Ah. And the Jan Schmidt one does not have subtitles, oh, unfortunately. I've got the Hertz one and the Hitilova one. But yeah, those two have subs. So does the Foreman. There's a few others that do. But yeah, the Schmidt one does not, and which is a real bummer because he's got just a really interesting career to look at. And like most of his movies weren't made during the Czech New Wave. They were made after the Prague Spring. And it's like... I have yet to actually sit down and watch them because I haven't ever heard about most of these movies. Yeah, same. He's a bit of a, I hate to admit, it sounds really ignorant, but, you know, I've only seen a couple of his films um, and it seems like something I really need to remedy. It's one of those things with Czech cinema, though. It's like, uh, you know, there's no guide 
out there and that's why these episodes are so valuable mike because there's only like a couple of world check experts you know like pete hames for a start flying the flag but you know even in blogs and stuff there's just and then getting the films and i find stuff you know and then you turn it turns out there's no subtitles and it's it's you know it's it's a hard road to navigate but a very very rewarding one i think that's one of the great things about this film is you know you don't know what you're going to expect because you're expecting something that we're used to i was expecting some sort of folk horror or something like marquetta lazarova but just set in the future and it's just like wow and i I think that's one of the things that consistently amazes me about Czechoslovak cinema more than any other country is the fact that you get so much diversity there and they're just totally on their own. They're just totally in their own bubble, aren't they? Yeah, the folk horror idea is so compelling to me, too, because like after watching this, I, I think I was expecting some more of that at the very least. And it prompted me to go out and finally see Midsummer, which I didn't care for at all. But, you know, I, I was also kind of surprised to find that that movie didn't really have what I wanted in terms of like uh, what I would think of as a, of as a feminist film, right? Oh, that's good to know then, because I <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, and I've been on the fence, and I'm yeah. just counting up people's uh, you know reports back. So I'd, I'm not really in a rush to see it at this point. Put it that yeah, way. It doesn't really pass the Bechdel test. I'm just going to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if this one does either, since the young women don't really talk about anything. Well, they're definitely not talking about a man, so there's that. That's for sure. <laughs> you talked about blogs, and I, I said that there's not a lot of writing. There was one blog I came across where it was somebody who is obsessed with this film, and every post, it's like they created a blog just to talk about end of August at the Hotel Ozone, and that's all of these posts, and there was like, here's the original version of Beer Barrel Polka, and here's how this <laughs> is, and... And then they, they did some interesting things because and there was even an interview with one young lady's grandmother on there. And I want to say that they might have been one of the actresses in the film. Yeah, I think that's true. I found that same blog. Yes. That's amazing, though, isn't it? It's a good film to be obsessed with. It certainly is. And they had a really good point of just the term August. And I was doing a search for end of August on IMDb, and it's just like all of these films with the word August come up. And I was just like, well, what is it about August? And it's like, okay, it's almost to the fall of your life. And it's like, oh, okay, that whole May-December romance thing. It's like if you think of a person's life as a year, it's like, oh, okay, August is right before the leaves start to fall. And it's like, interesting. Dagmar is kind of right there. Well, she's really in the December. She doesn't know it, but, <laughs> but I think that civilization is kind of in the August of its life, and it's just about to go on from there. But I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of an interesting read on this, too. The only thing that hasn't come up is I was kind of shocked to find out how many hotel ozones are in operation around the world. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was like, really? Right. We need, to have a, do we need to have a, a tour, <laughs> a projection booth tour where the three of us go around and visit them. Maybe we should crowd yeah. burn that. <laughs> I'll bring my snake. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out, have a glass of milk, everyone. Yeah, I was very surprised when I was doing an image search and I was just like, what is, th what? There's a real hotel? Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who saw that. The one that really stood out for me was one in Japan. I was just like, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at one that's on Kangaroo Island in uh, Australia. So, Wow. <laughs> Seriously, we do. We need to tour of these hotels, <laughs> turn it into a book project, and someone can fund it. That would be great. Yeah, we need some sort of like crazy billionaire who just loves the show and wants to give us all kinds of money. Yeah. Um, Yes, please. That would be good. I could use a sugar daddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and play a clip for next week's show. Open. Co bylo ve vládě? 
Dostali jste se k ty naší zprávě? Ty nepiješ? Lidi přece rostou. Lidi nám přece rostou. Nezajímá mě, jestli je někdo katolík nebo Mohamedán. Zajímá mě, jestli přijímá nebo nepřijímá naše socialistické cíle. Správně, ano. No je to pravda, soudru ministře, nebo to není pravda? 100% pravda. Byl jsem se na Marečka podívat v dílně. Měl na mašině obrázek Pany Marie vedle údernický vlaječky. Předseda partaje říká, nevím, co s ním mám dělat. Povídám velkorysost. Vyhráli jsme revoluci, nebo jsme ji nevyhráli. Posuzuj člověka podle toho, jestli přijímá nebo nepřijímá naše socialistické cíle. Ať se modlí. Ať se Marče klidně pomodlí, když mu to pomáhá. Do novin to o něm psát nebudem žádno. No. A lámat přes koleno to taky nebude. Jsem rád, že máš soudru ministře stejný názor. Jsem rád. Naschledanou. Je teprve úterý, co pak už je čtvrtek? Vláda se děješ ve čtvrtek. Ale košar volali do vlády. Telefonovali od vás předsednictva, aby hned naklusal do vlády. Pojď dál. Next week we'll be back with another Czechtember entry, The Ear. If you can't wait to hear that episode, just go ahead and order it from Second Run, where you can hear it as a commentary track. I think it'll be out right around the time that this episode comes out. Until then, I want to thank this week's co-hosts, Kat and Rain. So, Rain, what is happening in the rat-infested city of Baltimore? Uh, many, many things. I haven't seen a rat in months, I'm just going to say, which is uh, pretty, pretty awesome and nice. Um, I just put out a book. My first book, a book of collected essays called Heretic to Housewife just uh, came out and uh, I'm already sold out of my first printing. So we're moving into our second printing, which is very exciting. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That Thank is you. the best. Thank you. Can I just say that's the best title as well? That's an oh, amazing. It's just so good. Yeah, Rain is involved in so many different projects and types of projects. It's just astounding. I love reading your feed on Facebook and just seeing all of the stuff that you're working on. I mean, just, you know, th that you have time for this is really remarkable. Yeah, I'm a restless one. I just uh, started an, an MFA program here at University of uh, or UMBC, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and uh, it's really opened up a lot of opportunities for me, which has been really great. So I've been Uh, look for more books and films and more music any any all day now. Fantastic. Where's the best place for people to keep up with you? Uh, at my website, rain.com, R-A-H-N-E.com. Very cool. And Kat, what is keeping you busy? Speaking of busy people. Do you know, I, I, we always do this, and I hadn't even thought about it this week. <laughs> Just the huh. usual. I, I don't know. I've actually started my first fiction book, actually, uh, fitting hmm. for this uh, episode because it's called Castrobot, and it's got oh. destructive women in that. So that's been fun. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it might suck, but I'm going to promo the fuck <laughs> out of it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, and what else have I done? Um, I think we talked about Von Sternberg on the last episode, but we've just done a commentary with Sam Deegan, one of my podcast partners on Von Sternberg's Morocco, which is out, I think, next week by Indicator. I just did a commentary on a very weird a obscure Spanish slasher called Sector Siniestra. It's pure trash, but it's wonderful. That's coming out from Vinegar Syndrome. And there's probably a bunch of other stuff I completely forgot. But yeah, I have been very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, ladies, for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Please head on over to the website, projectionboothpodcast.com, where you can find out more about today's episode. You also find a link over to Patreon where you can make a donation to the show. Every donation we get helps the Projection Booth go on its world tour of Hotel Ozones.
show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media, let's make some noise.